The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is, as always, well, not as always, but today it happens to be a beautiful day here in Massachusetts. We have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to get right into it. Um, Studying abroad. This is a topic that has been particularly close to my heart these days as I've been abroad quite a bit over the last few months. Um, But we're going to be talking about how to prepare financially for that choice if it's something that you want to do when you're in college or if it's something you know that your child is going to want to do when they're in college. Um, Also want to dig a little bit into the social media story that's been making the rounds that many of you may have heard about um, where the 10 Harvard pre-freshmen had their acceptances rescinded based on some nasty things they were doing on social media. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in our office hours segment. But before we get to any of that, um, we have another one in our series taking you inside the admissions offices of uh, the former colleges or the colleges where many of us here at College Coach used to work. And today we're going to be talking about Tufts University in Massachusetts um, and my colleagues, both of whom happen to be former Tufts admissions officers, Karen Lines and Becky Leikling are here to help with that. Hi, guys. Hi, hey, Beth. Happy to be here. Great. Excellent. All right. So um, you all have listened to some of the previous segments, and you know, basically the goal here is just to give our listeners some <clears throat> additional insight into how the process works at um, many of the different schools that are out there. And I think it's really important to note before we get started, we're not trying to share trade secrets. Um, And these are questions that as a prospective student, you could ask um, at any time if you are on a college campus or in an information session and you're curious about how the process works at that school, you can certainly always feel free to ask. And um, the admissions officers. I can't think of an instance where they wouldn't be happy to share their process with you. It's not um, a big secret. Um, But with that, I guess uh, it feels like it could be a big secret. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit about, you know, what happens to an application where the students sitting at their desk, they filled it out, they press submit. Um, What happens when it arrives at Tufts? Yeah. Tufts reads geographically, so each admissions officer is responsible for a certain geographic territory. Um, and so as a territory manager, you're going to do the first read on a file. And Tufts breaks the reading process and the application review into data and the voice. And so the data is all the, the academic review components where an admissions mm-hmm. officer is combing through you know, the transcript, the school profile, test scores all in an effort to assess, you know, how prepared is the applicant for academics at Tufts. 
Um, it's not an automa- automated process or like a weed-through process. Um, the context of which an applicant is applying from is really important. And then the readers would take notes about the academics and assign an academic rating. And then the voice is kind of the full read of the file. It's everything else. Um, at Tufts, we almost always start reading with the supplement to get a, a sense of, you know, the, the personality of the applicant um, and then move into the common application essay. So reading those short supplemental responses and the full common app essay and then assessing the extracurriculars where those would be assessed and evaluated and a rating would be given and then move into recommendation letters and if there was an interview report. And all those other things would get captured into what we'd call a personal quality rating. Um, And then finally, the reader tries to kind of create a snapshot of who the applicant is, um, does a summary and an overall rating, which is sort of what they think should happen to the file next whether it does move on, um, as most applications do, to the second reading process. Got it. Becky, anything well, you want to add? One thing that I would add to that comprehensive overview is that, you know, to your question of how does it start, it literally starts with a mail opening party on January <laughs> 2nd and 3rd. So we just dealt with all of the teacher letters of recommendation and transcripts and whatnot that had been mailed in over the holidays. Um, and so it's, you know, when colleges say that they have a firm deadline, like regular decision or early decision deadline, it really is, it doesn't matter whether you submit at, you know, 11.59 the night before it's due or whether you submitted three months ahead of time, we weren't going to start reading your files until everything had been processed. Got it. Yeah, it worked the same way at Penn, too, and it does at a lot of schools, particularly the more selective you get. Okay, so that Mm -hmm. is super helpful. Um, In terms of, you said it then was going to move on to uh, a second reader, if, if, as you said, most of the applications were going to move on to a second reader. Um, Is the second person to read it the one who makes the decision? How does the decision-making process work um, at Tufts? So it depended a little bit on... It depends, right? As with everything in admissions, there's a lot of different factors. Um, I'll say for the most part, the first reader is responsible for really understanding, like Karen was saying, the context from which the student is applying. And so if the first reader, knowing the context, knew beyond a doubt, this kid is going to be a yes. You know, this kid is going to be one of the best kids we're going to see from Illinois or from Texas or from wherever, then they could send that application straight to the dean for Mm -hmm. approval, and that kid might be in. Um, Most often, and here I'll guess, gosh, 85% of students were wonderful and dynamic applicants that weren't so obviously a yes that they would then be sent to the second reader for another review, someone who didn't necessarily have the local context, but who certainly could could weigh in on the broader test context. Um, and this, for the most part, would be a randomly assigned second reader based on, you know, whoever was doing second read files that day, uh, although certainly there were times that I would, you know, send it to somebody specific. I knew that I personally had a soft spot for Eagle Scouts. To me, that's something that's really impressive and shows a lot of uh, personal qualities that I admire. And so I was always worried that, gosh, I might be, you know, I might be swayed by that Eagle Scout and and be (laughs) overestimating how great they are. So I would intentionally send them to somebody who I knew just 
you know, they didn't hate Eagle Scouts by any means, but they just didn't really <laughs> care about that particular thing right. above and beyond others to make sure there was a balanced perspective. Um, and then after the second review, all of those files, for the most part, would then go to committee. Um, there might be a couple that had been, you know, the second reader said, what do you think of Becky? That is clearly one of the best. And they would send it straight to the dean. But for the most part, most files then went to committee with a second review. And did any files um, at that point fall out of the process? So didn't go to the dean for acceptance, um, but weren't really appropriate to go to committee because they were clearly not competitive? Or did every file go to committee if that didn't go to the dean for acceptance? There, there was also a, a low review kind of process. So if I had read a file where after evaluating it, I just said, you know, I don't see this student being competitive. We could mm-hmm. send it to the, the dean for a second review and uh, or the director. And if um, that person also felt, yeah, I don't see this happening, that would kind of be the end of the line. Uh, if there was any kind of hesitation or question, um, they would send it back to a second read and it would get bounced into committee. So um, kids on the extreme ends, I'd say, the absolutely like, we don't need to even talk about it. This kid is so awesome. Or on the other end where I just don't see this based on history, being a competitive student, it would um, potentially be out. So the very high end and the very low end kind of didn't go to committee, but the majority um, had a committee process with two reads on the file when it was there. Right. And I think that's really important to point out, right? So no one is being denied by just one person. No one is being accepted by just one person. And the vast majority of the decisions, whatever they are, are actually being made by a committee of people. So you have uh, ideally a number of people weighing in before any final choices are made is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yep. It was, I think, a pretty thorough and thoughtful process. Yep. It, you know, it does sound it, it. I know from the outside when you've never been in a room and heard the conversations or, you know, read some files and, and understood the process, it feels very capricious. I think it can feel that way. And hopefully yeah. what we're doing with these is helping people understand that really actually isn't, that, um, that there are a lot of checks and balances. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, you mentioned, Karen, uh, about the supplement, and you would turn to the supplement actually first once you had gone through the. Um, what did you say? It's the. It's the. The per. You, the voice. you called it something. The voice, and then what? The voice. The yes. <laughs> the voice. Data. What, data what, and the voice. Data. Okay, so when you were going through after the data, and you were going through the voice, the the first thing you went to was the supplement. Um, tough supplement is pretty involved, and in fact, I've had students who were sort of thinking, well, I might throw an application in at Tufts. My least favorite thing when someone says, I might throw an application in somewhere <laughs> because it implies a complete and total lack of thought about the process who then go to the supplement and think, well, maybe not, because it's pretty involved. Um, It's not hard, I don't think, but it isn't easy, and it isn't necessarily something you want to do if you're not really interested, which Mm -hmm. I suspect is the goal. But let me ask you guys, um, what is the impetus behind the supplement that Tufts has uh, put together? So those are the questions that, the admissions officers would come up with themselves because they really hit at the types of curiosities or character traits or um, ideas that at Tufts we valued. Um, And so the, you know, to Karen's point, we started with the supplement because that's where it was 
that much easier to hear the real kid behind the application. Um, oftentimes, you know, the, the personal statement for the Common App might have been something they started in school, in their English class, and they've gone through seven or eight drafts, and it's really a great piece, but it is a formal piece, while the supplement felt like a conversation with the student. So it was that much easier to get right to the stuff that really mattered to us. Got it. So what I'm hearing is, in terms of importance, in your application, in the Tufts application process, these supplements are as high up there as pretty much anything. Would that be yeah. fair? Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely say there's a, a premium on those responses, and not because just the fact that, you know, we've asked, the, you know, Tufts has asked those questions specifically, but because from the experience of readers, that's what allowed us to get to know the applicants the best, where, you know, their perspective and their personalities came through the clearest. And so, you know, well, Becky just said, you know, like the, the personal statement, like sometimes it was so edited to death, like it was a nice piece of writing, but it had no voice where, you know, the, the supplements allowed kids more freedom to kind of have fun and, you know, express themselves. And we felt it helped us understand them in a better way. All right. Excellent. So big takeaway, listeners, if you're going to apply to Tufts, make sure you take some time to do a good job on those um, on those supplemental pieces and show off a little bit about who you are. Uh, okay. And Tufts has a couple of early decision, well, a couple of different ways to apply, three to be exact, right? They have early decision yep. one, they have early decision two, and they have regular decision. Can you talk a little bit, we've, we've talked on the show many times about early decision, but just for a recap for everyone, early decision is a binding program. So if you apply early decision, what you're saying is, if you accept me, I will attend, I agree to withdraw all my other applications and deposit and commit to this school. So with that definition in mind, I'm curious if there are differences in the process for, or in the way you think about applicants for early decision one versus early decision two um, versus regular decision even? Yeah, no, ED, ED2 um, was exactly like early decision one. It's a different deadline a little later. So I think it offered a lot of students more time to decide whether, you know, Tufts was the right fit for them or even just a binding decision is the right choice for them to make. Um, the ED2 deadline was the same deadline as regular decision. So at that point, you know, they're getting everything ready for all their schools. And I think if a student felt like, you know, if, if I were to get into, you know, every one of these schools, I know I would pick tough, then, you know, doing early decision two might be the, the right choice. Um, but as readers, I, I think the only real difference I felt was at ED1, because of the timing, I just had more time. Like, it was a little bit more enjoyable <laughs> to read the early decision round one, Kyle, because I was excited. It was a new, you know, reading season. Yeah. You know, once January comes, not only are you reading your ED2 files, but you see, you know, the thousands of regular decision files that are sitting there and, and waiting to be read as well. So I think in terms of, you know, my own amount of enjoyment and time. Early decision one was probably better for me as a reader, but for the applicant, it really was the same. Got it. Well, okay. The only thing I'll add to that, I think you've talked about this before, Beth, and, and this isn't specific to Tufts as much as ED2. When you apply early decision, most kids have not already applied as well, which means when your admissions officer looks at your school group, 
maybe there's there's three kids whose applications mm-hmm. have been completed. Um, but for ED2, which is due on the same day as regular decision, now all of a sudden there's a school group of 15 or 30 or, you know, at Lexington High School, 120 applications into mm-hmm. time. And so you now look different in context of the entire pool than you might have when you applied early decision with just a couple of other kids as well. Right, right. And the age-old thing about how it's much easier to pop out of a group of, say, 4,000 than it is out of a group of, say, 25,000, um, I think is something that also... Right. Um, yeah. But I think it's a good point that in ED2, the you've got the whole group at that point. So even though you are giving that group special consideration because they've committed to you, you can't ignore that there are now 25,000 or however many thousand applicants um, in addition waiting there. Um, Really quickly, because we're getting close to the end of our time, um, a couple more questions. One is, um, Karen or Becky, one of you mentioned interviews. How many students actually interview at Tufts, and and what role does that play in the process? Um, Gosh, I don't remember, you know, the percent of applicants who interviewed, uh, but we at Tufts did not offer interviews with admissions officers. It was only with local alumni uh, in your home community. Um, And to, to Karen's point from the very beginning, I think that was one more piece where we could hear your personality and get a sense of fit you know, someone from our community saying, gosh, I identify in this kid, a kindred spirit makes sense, good fit for Tufts, but it was kind of just one more piece, and in the, the process of reading, it was the last piece we'd look at. Got it. Okay. And then last question is, um, is Tufts tracking demonstrated interest? How important is it to go and visit and register for the info, se- info session and take the tour um, just from the perspective of whether or not admissions is keeping track? I think, I mean, Tufts does keep track, but whether you visited and done the tour or something was never part of, you know, committee discussion. I think Tufts evaluating more for fit and to see if a student, you know, seems excited about joining the Tufts community. And I think most of that really came through the supplement, the why Tufts response. And so, if visiting and taking the tour allows the applicant to be able to better answer those kind of questions, um, then I think it's purposeful, but I don't think you have to go, you know, to, to see Tufts simply because, you know, you know that they're going to be tracking interest. I think there are right. a lot of other ways that you can show the connection to Tufts. Got it. I read great Why Tufts responses that cited a conversation in a Starbucks in their hometown with an alumni or the visit from the admissions officer on the road and got at that same, you know, specific sense of fit that happened locally. Got it. All right. So it's great if you can visit, but certainly not a requirement. Um, But you definitely have to show that, you know, Tufts is a good fit for you and you need to be able to do that specifically. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, My pleasure, Beth. <laughs> Great. Well, um, I hopefully, I think our readers have a better insight into Tufts. I know I do. Um, I love doing these segments because I feel like I learn so much and it helps me in other areas. So um, really appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you guys back sometime soon. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. We're going to be back in just a minute and we're going to be discussing preparing financially for study abroad. So don't go away.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with host Thomas Rosenberg. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as Thomas speaks with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm super excited because I have my colleague um, and frequent guest on the show, Kathy Ruby, who is also a former uh, financial aid director at St. Olaf's. And she's here to talk about study abroad. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, All right, let's get right into it because, as I was saying at the start of the show, this is something near and dear to my heart. I love traveling. Um, I went abroad when I was in college, and I actually do remember that I was planning to go abroad basically before I even left for college, and my parents saying to me, well, we'll have to see if it's financially feasible (laughs) because I did get, uh, you know, I was on financial aid, and it was a real... um, you know, it was a real sacrifice uh, to send me to college, to the college that I went to. And I think my parents were sort of eager to tamp down any getting too enthusiastic about something they couldn't afford. So I yeah. find this, this to be particularly helpful. So I think um, a big question around that is, you know, at the time I was sort of like, okay, and I just figured we'd figure it out because that's what you do when you're 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're actually trying to figure it out, how, how do you start um, when it comes to preparing financially to study abroad? Okay, so the, the first thing to do is, is to start ahead of time, right? You don't want to decide mm-hmm. three months ahead of time that you want to go do a study abroad program. Most colleges will 
have a process in place where you have to be planning at least a year ahead of time. Um, so the first thing is to think about um, what kind of a program you want to do. So will it be a semester or year-long? Will it be a summer program? Or maybe it's just a short-term program like a J-term or a May-term that mm-hmm. colleges offer. Um, <clears throat> and then when it comes to study abroad, there are essentially two ways that it can be done. Um, the first is through programs that are sponsored by your college. So St. Olaf actually was a college that was known for having lots and lots of different study abroad programs, and that was because we had arrangements with lots of different, lots of different programs. Um, and so when it's a program that's actually sponsored by the college, that means they've done the the legwork, a lot of the legwork for you, and it means that the credits are probably going to transfer easily from a financial perspective. Um, it means that the you'll be paying tuition to your home institution, and then your home institution will pay the institution that you're attending. Um, so that's that's kind of the easiest way to do it. And even within those college-sponsored programs, sometimes there are programs where there are actual faculty from your college teaching those courses. They're just teaching them in some remote location. Um, or um, there can be uh, programs where they have arrangements with other programs and other institutions, and you're actually being taught by faculty at other institutions. So that's one type. And then the other might be a program that you find on your own. So um, maybe you're researching, you find some program, or maybe you're attending a college that doesn't sponsor a lot of programs, so you might have mm-hmm. to go find one on your own. And in that case, you're usually paying the institution yourself, um, and you have a lot more legwork to do in terms of making sure credits transfer um, And it doesn't necessarily mean, though, that it will be more expensive. It really just depends on the kind of program and the pricing structure at the institution. So you can do it either way, but I would definitely suggest starting with your institution to find out what do they offer, what do they sponsor. Right, because that's definitely going to be, at least in terms of all the legwork that you mentioned, the easier way to go. Yes, absolutely. Um, All right. So are there any particular things to watch out for if you're trying to figure out, as my parents were, can we even afford this? How do you accurately assess um, the cost of a study abroad program? Right. So the first thing to start with, of course, is to find out what what are the costs. And and to understand that when you study abroad, different programs are structured in different ways depending on how colleges work in that other country. So some programs will uh, charge a certain fee and it won't include room and board. And that will be something where they'll provide you with an estimate and say, well, no, you have to go find a place to live in Dublin or wherever it is um, to study at this at Trinity. Um, So you really want to make sure you understand everything that's included when someone presents to you what the fees will be. Um, Does it cover room and board? Does it cover transportation? So a, a program sponsored by your college might be more likely to cover the actual plane fare, and then maybe you only have to cover your in-country transportation. But um, those are all things that you'll want to make sure you understand. And then this question of understanding how credits transfer back when you're attending an institution that's outside our country, um, that's very important uh, because you don't want to get back from your study abroad program and figure out that, oh, geez, now I have to attend an extra semester because the credits didn't count the way I thought. So make sure you're doing your legwork ahead of time. It's it's not uncommon for credits to come back but not count towards GPA. 
so it might they might count as completed credits, but they might not do anything to boost or <laughs> or yeah, decrease your GPA. From. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and then the other thing is, of course, is that electives will probably transfer more easily than than courses that are actually um, required for your major. So keep all those things in mind and make sure you're asking. Usually, where you would go for that is start with the registrar's office as you're exploring a program, or with the study abroad program office if it's a if it's a sponsored program. Got it. All right. Um, so let's say you figured out how much it's going to cost. Um, now you're trying to figure out how do you pay for it. Is it as simple as, you know, you're just making the same payment to the college and they're going to apply those fees to the study abroad? I suspect it's potentially more complicated, but I'm yeah. curious what, what you say about that. Well, uh, start with your financial aid office and the study abroad office. So the first question I think you want to ask yourself is, What's going to happen to the financial aid I already receive? Can I receive it while I'm studying abroad? So many times for um, college-sponsored programs, uh, it's possible to keep your institutional scholarships and grants, which is pretty important. Um, And in fact, you know, at St. Olaf, where we had such a range of programs, it was not uncommon for a program that was a semester or a year long um, to actually not be that much more expensive than staying at St. Olaf. Certainly it was more expensive, but it was not as bad as you might think. So in terms of taking advantage of opportunity, by the time you figured out what your financial aid would be, um, it turned out not to be so bad. Um, And then, of course, you also want to check with the financial aid office to find out, do they have any special scholarships for study abroad? So at St. Olaf, we had a whole set of endowed scholarships that were targeted specifically for uh, study abroad. And as usual, there was a process to apply. And as usual, you couldn't you, you had to pay attention to the deadlines. So I think our, I don't even remember, I think the deadline was sometime in um, maybe January, and then we notified in the spring about study abroad scholarships for the next, next academic year. Um, but those right. would be above and beyond what you would normally receive in institutional aid. They were truly intended to help cover those extra expenses. Um, so check with your college first to see, check with the study abroad office because they usually will be compiling a list of resources for you to use um, to search for scholarships from private sources. Uh, Let's see, check with your academic department, um, especially if you're studying in a certain area. Um, Check with them to see if they have any specialized scholarships. And then check with local organizations that are affiliated with the place that you're going to go study. So, you know, Sons of Italy, Sons of Norway, uh, Chinese American Association, whatever it might be, um, check there. Sometimes your parent or some relative will have to be a member of that organization. But if if you are um, studying in a certain place, try to find um, scholarships that are particular to that place. You can also check with the government of the country where you're going to study. It's it's less common, but sometimes the government itself of a particular college will will offer uh, scholarship aid. Got it. For people looking to get there. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, what about anything else related to getting money to, to do that? Um, well, I think you just want to be um, aware of, again, it comes back to what are the institutional dollars that will be available to you. And then also know that if you, even if you're not, even if you can't receive your institutional dollars, um, it's very possible for you to receive federal student and parent loan 
dollars if you're studying abroad. So in the case of a college-sponsored program, it's usually fairly automatic and your home institution would be processing those loan funds. But if it's a program where you found it on your own and you're trying to make things work, um, the college that you're attending will need to sign what's called a consortium agreement with that other institution, and maybe they would then be able to process federal loans for you, meaning the home institution. Um, But even if they don't do that, there are many institutions around the world, actually, that do participate in our federal student and parent loan programs, um, mostly in the UK and Canada, and they're mostly places where college students um, or American students study abroad, um, but a lot of places in those, in those areas do participate in our federal student loan programs because they want to make them accessible for American students. Right, right. I was actually just visiting in Paris the American University of Paris, and yes. that's an example right there in Paris, and they do um, financial aid and all of that stuff. So yes. um, it is interesting. Okay. So in terms of um, kind of you've done all the legwork, you've started early, which I think in case listeners are not getting it, start early, start <laughs> early, start early. Um what do you, what about sort of that last thing of just kind of creating a budget? What are some things to take into consideration when you're ta- when you're creating a budget for when you're actually abroad or you know the things you're going to need to get there and then once you're there? Yes. Well, so again, start early. And one of the things I think it's easy to forget about is is your student's passport. Um, You know, it's not a bad idea to take a look at your student's passport as they're headed off to college. I can't remember at what age children's passports expire. Isn't it 19 or something like that? I'm, I'm... I'm making that up, but I know there's a particular point when they expire. So take a look so that you are making sure to leave yourself plenty of time to renew a passport if you need to renew one or to get your child their first passport um, because you don't want to have to pay fees to expedite the passport application. And you also don't want the stress of not knowing that the passport's going to arrive in time. Um, Now, visas and things like that, you've got to take that into account for certain countries. There may be fees associated with that. Um, And again, a study abroad office will help you with that and help you figure it out. Um, Budgeting for transportation and sort of the various touristy things that kids are going to do, because certainly while they're there, they're going to want to travel around. Um, Looking into railway passes, um, your rail, those kinds of passes, they generally will have student discounts um, and all kinds of restaurants and museums and various Uh, tourist sites will have student discounts. So it's really a good idea for your student to get an international study identity card at isic.org. And so that can get your your student lots of discounts. Um, I think, uh, you know, when I went and studied abroad, of course, I'm ancient, so I use traveler's checks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, of course, in today's world, people are, you know, it's easy to just get money and to right. use credit cards. But you do want to understand what your your bank's particular fees are um, for those kinds of transactions. Because if your student is in a country for six months and it's a, you know, a 1% to 3% fee, that can really add up. Um, so you'll want to help your student plan how they're going to spend their money in a way that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Um, <clears throat> good thing to look at. And and also only certain credit cards work too. So you will want to check with your bank and figure out what happens there. Um, and then of course, you'll also want to talk to your child's cell phone provider. Yes. 
And, and actually, something I could add there is just when I went abroad, I'm similarly ancient, and um, I didn't use Traveler's Check, but I had a, I had to open a bank account. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, that might be actually something for students to consider in order to avoid some of those fees. Um, and sometimes if you're going to be there for the full year and you want to get a cell phone there, you, you want to get on a plan that's local, you mm-hmm. might need a bank account in order to do that. They may not actually let you do that without a local bank account. So. Okay. Something well, I've learned in my past yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's couple of months. a very good point, it, and it might make sense to do that. It might make much more sense to do that. Um, also, check on health insurance. So, it is possible that the college that the child's attending will require that they have health insurance. Um, so, you'll want to see how yours works internationally, and if it doesn't, what you ha- might have to pay for that. Um, and then, in terms of just getting your students settled, um, Again, checking with the institution, um, whatever you can do to avoid mailing bulky things, of course, will save you money. Um, so it may make sense for your student to buy things once they get over there. Um, and that's, right. that's pretty intuitive. Yes, absolutely. Kathy, these are all some really great tips. Um, I would say to anyone thinking about studying abroad, do it, do it, do it. It's an amazing experience. Yes. And it's, you know, it's harder to do um, when you are, when you've graduated and you're out in the work world. Um, so thanks so much, Kathy. Um, we are going to be right back after this. We're going to be talking about the fallout at Harvard over some bad social media choices. So do not go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Uh, As I promised before the break, we're going to be talking a little bit about what happened at Harvard um, in the past couple of weeks with some uh, acceptances being rescinded. And here to chat with me about that is Kara Courtois, who happens to be a former Barnard admissions officer and also a former teacher. So um, probably a little bit more up on teenagers um, than maybe others in our office might be just by virtue of having actually taught them in the classroom as well. Hi, Kara. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. So for our listeners, just in case they um, they haven't heard, basically what happened is that Harvard had a Facebook group. Actually, I don't even think Harvard set it up. A group of students who were accepted to Harvard had set up a Facebook group, which is not an uncommon thing to do, just to kind of say, meet their fellow future classmates. And, um, you know, I think sometimes students use those as ways to meet future roommates and just Mm -hmm. maybe get to know somebody right before you get on campus. But this particular Facebook group did something that, honestly, I'm not particularly familiar with, but they created a smaller private group like and where they were exchanging what they called dark memes something like that I'm probably getting it a little mm-hmm. bit wrong and showing my age but what they were sharing was incredibly inappropriate in um, you know just really bad taste is sort of a nice way to put it I guess I would say um, Harvard got wind of it and asked the students to explain what they were doing and further to send them everything they had posted because Harvard didn't technically have access to the group. Um, They just heard about it. And then after they read the explanations and looked at what the students had posted, they made the decision to rescind admission to 10 of those students. So um, I thought this would be a good opportunity for the two of us to talk a little bit about um, just kind of all of this. Um, and for me, the big message here, aside from, you know, really, that's just a dumb thing to be doing, but mm-hmm. um, is that oftentimes you think when you get in, it's all set. But right. there are so many things you can do that can really disrupt that um, and I think it's important to think about that. So anyway, I guess I would, first of all, love to get kind of your reaction to what happened and whether you were surprised by Harvard's decision, what you thought about it, if you had an opinion about it. Yeah, no, I was just sad, you know. Um, yeah. I was sad for the students, I was sad for the parents, the schools, you know, that had supported them, the teachers who wrote the recs, um, yeah. because, it, you know, it just was no surprise, really, in this day and age. And my immediate reaction was, you know, they're the sacrificial lamb, you know, on some level. Because when you apply to Harvard, you know, you're applying to a place where it's a 5% acceptance rate. Um, I was even sad for the admissions counselors because, you know, who had probably fought for them in committee. Because yeah. we know what it takes to get into that school. Um, and so, there, yeah, there's, you take on a responsibility when you say yes um, to a school that's in the spotlight you know, as much at Harvard. So I also was, you know, very proud, honestly, of their admission staff and dean and all the decision makers in there because there is certainly, you know, a lot of instances with similar um, actions where, mm-hmm. you know, administrators might choose to look the other way 
um, because maybe, you know, we don't know who those kids are, but some of them, you know, could be people who have big endowments. You know, the families have donated a lot or, um, you know, have had an impact on the school. We don't know. But nonetheless, it was a big decision, and it really sets the tone for many other universities as well as for other students' actions. Right. So. You know, from yeah, and I, I agree with the part where I do think it's sad. I do think... The, the things that were described as being posted were terrible. Um, yes. I do think that the online reaction, so there is a, there's a Facebook, there's a counselor group of people who do what we do and, and who, um, you know, talk and share ideas. And I do think on some level, some of the reactions to me felt a little bit of a rush to judgment. You know, we don't know who posted them. We don't know what mm-hmm. they posted. We know that it had to be pretty bad because, um, Harvard wasn't just going to be rescinding admissions over you know, right. some something small. But I am, mm-hmm. as I am constantly reminded with my own teenager in the home and one who recently left home to go to college, you know, kids do dumb things. And <laughs> sometimes it's indicative of who they are as people. And sometimes it's just indicative of doing dumb things, right? Like just yeah. dumb. Um, yeah. I always think in that moment, uh, thank goodness that this stuff didn't exist when I was a teenager. I'd exactly. like to think I, you exactly know, I, I, I love to think I wouldn't have been involved in this kind of thing. I don't think I would have, but the things you'll do when you're 17 or 18 because you think you're being cool or you think it's funny yeah. or, yeah. right? It's um, that's, that's exactly what I was also meditating on, you know, just that... My goodness, thank goodness we didn't grow up in this age because even, you know, silence, a lot of the people in the article, a lot of the class of 2021 fellow Harvard, you know, admits were saying, you know, that they didn't participate in that. But silence could be, you know, construed a different direction as well. So it's absolutely um, just a, a... you know, a piece of the day and age um, in this digital world that reminds us, you know, again and again that writing is permanent Mm -hmm. and it can hurt, you know, just as much as what we might have experienced in the hallway, you know, that people could have gotten away with a little bit more easily. Right. And I think it's also a really good reminder that nothing is private if you're posting it somewhere, even if the group is you know, private, right? I'm doing little right. air quotes right here. If you could see me, right. um, yep. you know, none of that is private. Um, yeah. and they are the sacrificial lambs. I will say this. I mean, it's a tough lesson, but I almost feel better now than, yes. um, you know, right. Their names are not out there and associated with it. What if they went and did something wildly inappropriate in their first job and it actually yes. had their name associated with it. Yes. So, yes, I, yeah, you know, I yeah, I so, was thinking actually quite a bit of a niece who uh, had just applied for a job recently, and was surprised she didn't get it. And as we, you know, were chatting about it, it turns out perhaps some Facebook messages from the previous night, previous night's activities might have contributed. You never know. Um, yeah. But you need to be very mindful, you know, of that um, online presence that you have from. You know, anytime you open up that Facebook page or online social media presence, you know, right. and, and uh, are out in the world. Right. And things like Snapchat that, you know, are supposed to go away. They don't. You can take a screenshot. It's not hard to save yeah. that stuff. So 
Sure. The students who are listening, um, you just always want to think twice about that. If it's not something you'd be happy for your mom or your dad to see or your grandparents to see or, you know, your teachers or um, uh, anyone, really, then you probably shouldn't post it. Call up a friend and talk to them about it instead if you really feel like it's a joke that needs to be made. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, and the other thing that I'm, I think this will now start to come up in conversations, and this is always a big one around, well, you know, our college is looking at my social media presence when I apply. I still feel like the number of applications that they're receiving um, means that most colleges just don't have the bandwidth to check the online presence of every student who is applied, certainly, and even really of every student that they're admitting. But what you do afterwards on social media, and this is a great example, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I know um, of at least two or three different incidences recently where students were in chat rooms for accepted students, um, you know, talking about they couldn't wait to get up there and party their faces off or, mm-hmm. you know, look out, ladies, I'm coming, except, of course, worse, right? That, that, um <laughs> And um, being called into the, the admissions office to explain it and in some cases having acceptances rescinded or being put on probation before you even start, um, yeah. you know, this is the stuff you have to really be thoughtful about and don't mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, the message I'm taking, too, is, you know, just a continual reminder you know, to students that, no, it's not a big brother is watching you, but at the same time, it, you know, I love that phrase, and my own fifth grade daughter had to do a, um, a little presentation in her elementary school about computer safety and awareness, and that phrase, you know, would you be okay if your grandmother read what you wrote? Yep. This is a phrase that I hope my grand- my kids will grow up with, um, you know, just for moral purposes as well as their online presence and, you know, plan to share this article um, with students, you know, as that reminder, you don't want your grades to drop below a B and you don't want to get too loose and goosey, (laughs) you know, on your online presence that, um, you know, you might change the course that you had set. Exactly, exactly. Um, And, you know, I think there's probably room for students to clean up their social media um, and even things like their email. I always think back to Karen Crowley's student who had the email. I think it was I score a lot at (laughs) gmail.com. I score big time. I score big time. Thank you. Um, And her saying to him, no, that's really not a good email address for you to yeah. be using. And can I say right. for you to be using period, but certainly not for you to be using on your college applications, right? right. So right. that's funny. Um, yeah. Well, Kara, thanks so much for um, for joining today to to um, talk to me about this. Have any other thoughts before we kind of, I'm sure this is going to be something that will come up uh, again and again, but any other thoughts uh, for our listeners on, on this piece of things and being thoughtful? Yeah. I mean, I, I just congratulate all those students who've been admitted and, you know, 99% of the time I think students are making the right choices and I try to look at it as that. Um, but we, I, you know, I definitely would encourage them to spread the news to their younger classmates um, you know, that they need to, to keep their online presence neat, you know, and um, just, 
be good people. And if nothing else, maybe the message is that kindness, you know, needs to be spread a little bit more often. Right, exactly. And that, you know, humor has its place, but if yes. you're doing, you know, if you have humor, that's, especially when you're being funny with people that you don't know, right? You, you know, right. it's, um, it is very a dicey pro- prospect. Um, Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, my pleasure. Thank you to all my guests, actually, who joined me today. I had a lot of them today, Becky and Karen and Kathy. Um, Next week, I'm actually back, two shows in a row. I'm super excited. Um, We're going to be focusing on saving for college and also the undergraduate role in graduate school admissions. So specifically, we're going to be talking about choosing a 529 plan. How do you do that? How do you think about that? Also, um, how important your undergraduate school choice is to your chances of getting into medical school or the role that it's going to play in medical school admissions. Um, and then we're also going to be talking through um, some things that high school and college students who are planning to earn MBAs should be doing now. And um, for the segment on med school admissions, I'm excited because my current colleague, um, who happens to be a former director of admissions at Stanford Med and Columbia Med, is going to be here for that. And then um, on the MBA, a um, someone who I know quite well who used to work in Wharton Admissions and is an expert on that front is going to be talking to us about that. So this is a show not to be missed. If you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Um, we have a great blog that um, we are posting to five times a week. Um, we have a great archive for this show in particular. So lots of free ways to interact with us. Um, the blog is at blog.getintocollege.com. We're on Pinterest. We're on LinkedIn. You can get free downloads of this show on iTunes. And if you'd rate it while you're there, I would appreciate it. Um, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.